You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am super excited to have with me today, Scott Sherabura, who is the Vice President of Electric Vehicle Charging for Parkland Corporation. Um, I'm really excited to, we've been focusing a lot this year on the show on U.S. uh, sort of centric Um, electric vehicle charging. And now it's time to look at how it's beginning to operate in other countries. So I'm super excited to have Scott with us today to talk to us a little bit about what's happening in Canada and what Parkland Corporation is doing. So Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tani. Really excited to be here. So for the listeners who may not be familiar Um, They should be familiar, at least in Canada, but for those who are not familiar, can you talk a little bit more about what Parkland does and a little bit more about your role as um, VP of EV charging? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, I'll give you just a little brief history of uh, of Parkland. So we are a leading fuel marketer and convenience store operator. Um, We've been around since the late 1960s. We were founded in in Western Canada, in rural Alberta, Uh, got our start in a town called Red Deer, which is about halfway between Calgary and Edmonton. Um, one of the interesting tidbits about Parkland is we actually didn't start as a fuel retailer. We started as a cattle feedlot, believe it or not. Oh my God, um, I did not and, know that. Yes, wow. Uh, and the, the founders of the company eventually diversified into fuel retail uh, in the 70s, so opened our first gas station um, and grew like crazy in Western Canada. So throughout Alberta, throughout Saskatchewan. Um, and uh, eventually grew to be the company that we are today. So in particular, uh, in the last 10 years, we've been on a bit of an acquisition tear. So we've done somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 acquisitions over the course of the last 10 years. Wow. Um, and we've grown to the point now where we've got, uh, about between us and our dealers, we have about 3,500 sites um, stretching all the way across Canada from coast to coast. Uh, a large and growing presence in the U.S. where we have about 600 sites. Um, and we're the leading fuel marketer in the Caribbean as well. Um, so we do actually have, we have a presence now in 25 countries, um, which for a small company that started in, uh, in Red Deer, Alberta is, uh, is quite a phenomenal, uh, quite a phenomenal growth story. So I had no idea you guys were in the Caribbean as well, but I did know you guys were in other, other countries. So why did Parkland decide to embark into the EV charging space? What was the decision process like for you all? And what kind of factors did did you consider? I mean, how did you all assess the opportunity? So in a lot of ways, it's a natural transition. And in a lot of ways, it's a very different business. I mean, we like to think that we've been serving the needs of travelers for 50 years at this point. Um, Travelers are still going from point A to point B, and this is just a different way to do it. Um, that being said, uh, you know, getting into EV charging um, has uh, has definitely been a bit of a transition. It's something that I think everybody at Parkland has been going through their own personal journey. Uh, I myself have been going through a personal journey about uh, EVs all the way from skepticism through to a big believer um, mm-hmm. that EVs are are really coming on quickly. So, um, so yeah, so I'd say we we went through stages, right? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the first stage that we went through, the best way I could describe it is uh, we were a little bit bewildered. Right? Um, we actually got approached. Um, by a couple of companies, including Tesla, um, to say, hey, look, you guys have some really great uh, gas stations and some really great retail sites. We'd love to put chargers in your parking lots. Um, and we kind of didn't know what to make of this because it was still, it was a few years ago. It was maybe 
five years or so ago. Yeah. Um, and we're thinking, gee, this is kind of strange that uh, uh, that uh, the, these strange EVs are going to be coming to refuel at our sites. But sure, why not? There, you know, it was uh, we were hoping to get a little bit of the you know additional coffee sales and snack sales and that kind of thing out mm-hmm. of it. Um, and so we said, okay, so we took two sites um, and signed them up with the Tesla network, uh, both in kind of remote locations where Tesla was in need of uh, a, uh, uh, a a space on the network, a dot on the map. Um, and so that, that's kind of how we got started, right? It was not running our own business, but essentially being a site host uh, for a larger network. So what was it like to, two, two questions, what was it like to work with Tesla? And then I also wanted to ask you about your own personal journey. What, what tipped it? Uh, for you, when did you go from in eh, not really sure about this to whoa? And I see your posts on on LinkedIn, and they are, you know, they're very, very, very supportive. Um, and you know, so what what tipped it for you yourself? So I, I guess a little bit of history on me. So I come from an oil and gas background, right? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. I'm a chemical engineer by training. I used to work for Imperial Oil, which was the Canadian branch of Exxon. Mm-hmm. Um, came up as a consultant through oil and gas, uh, did a lot of work all up and down the value chain. I was very much an oil and gas guy through and through. Um, and I think like a lot of people who come from that background, I, I viewed uh, electric vehicles and zero emission transportation with a, a fair bit of skepticism. Um, not, not because I was opposed to it, but just because there were so many promises that people had made for so long. And there were targets that were set that were pushed out and pushed out again and pushed out again. It just felt like the idea that was never going to arrive, you know, as, mm-hmm. as they say, the technology of the future, and it will always be the technology of the future. Um, and it's where it started a change for me. Um, I can actually pinpoint it to a date, right? Which was January oh 12th, God. January 12th, 2021. That's um, very specific. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And that, that, that was the date that uh, Mary Barra from GM uh, went to the CES show um, and uh, came up with the announcement saying, look, GM is going all electric. And that was, uh, that, that sent shockwaves to the industry, right? To say, yeah, you know, absolutely. this wasn't Tesla, this wasn't a startup. This was a, one of the largest uh, and most storied companies yeah. in the world making yeah. a real bet that they were focusing on, uh, that they were focusing on electric and t- taking the entire company that way. Yeah, That was astounding to me. Um, yeah. And then started to dig into, gee, we're seeing, you know, EV sales are really starting to take off. We saw it in California. We've seen it in pockets of Canada as well. Uh, we started to see the numbers taking off in Europe. We started to see the numbers taking off in China. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so for me, that like that was the moment at which um, I uh, really started to wake up and say, look, it's this is real, right? This is coming. It's coming quickly. Automakers are really putting real money into this. Consumers are really starting to adopt it. Um, and I think that's for me personally, that was that, that was kind of the trigger point. But it's funny to think that was that was less than two years ago. Right? I know. I mean, it, it is warp speed what we're what we're seeing here. <laughs> like five years ago, um, I mean, it was uh, you know, uh, you know, it was a Tesla sideshow, so to speak. And, you know, now we have um, you know, an industry um, in the U.S. and Canada, charging's expanding. The policies, the automakers, other automakers follow GM. It is an incredible evolution in just um, five years. Um, so, what was it like for you all when you know Tesla came to you, said, "Oh, you know, you've got some great properties, interested in partnering." So, what was that process like? And then, how did you guys go from Tesla to? Hey, I think we want to do something kind of more on this and and um you know maybe have some of our own stations here. 
Yes. So when we got approached by Tesla, uh, that was the point at which we started thinking through, look, there might be an opportunity here. Um, at, at the time, so before, so now I run Parkland's EV charging business, but at right. the time I was running Parkland's strategy team, right? So we were right. taking a look at, you know, what are the different technologies that are coming through? What are the different changes in policy and changes in the industry that are going to be affecting Parkland long-term? And yes, electrification was definitely... Um, one of the trends that we were taking a look at. Um, yeah. But that, now that it became real and there were there, there were chargers that were potentially going to be at our sites, um, we started to take a look at it a lot more closely, right? So the, the, the next step that we took is to say, look, rather than just being a site host for somebody else, um, you know, it, it kind of clicked for us that it's actually not that expensive um, for us to try this ourselves, right? And so yeah. what we did is we took, uh, we took one of our sites um, in a town called Kelowna in British Columbia, which is uh, the best way I can describe it is kind of like the Napa Valley of, uh, of, uh, uh, of Canada, a uh, very pr pretty wow. area, wine country, <laughs> lots of tourist traffic from Vancouver, which is one of the biggest EV adoption uh, cities within, uh, within Canada. Right. Um, and we took, we have a great presence there. And so we took one of our sites, um, one of our nicer sites that has a, uh, it has a QSR there. Um, it has relatively good convenience store. It's right on the main highway going through town. Um, and we took, we bought a couple of chargers um, and we installed them. Um, that was our pilot and that, that opened in October of 2021. So that was, uh, again, not, not that long ago. It was just a little bit more than a year ago right now, but that was our first pilot location that rather than just being a site host, that was the first kind of Parkland paying for it, owning it, operating it, um, and getting a real sense of what it's like to be, uh, to be an EV network operator. So, um, I want to ask you about, um, your partnership with FreeWire. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, cause I'm seeing, I've saw, I've seen some of the pictures and it's kind of funny to see like the snow and, <laughs> and everything. Well, that's where you are. Right. Um, but the, the units are, are beautiful. FreeWire is just, you know, really out there and everywhere, but that the solution looks so elegant, um, yeah. you know, to me. So can you talk a little bit, little bit about that? Yeah. And this was, this was part of our evolving, uh, understanding of the business. So the, the site that we put up in Kelowna was not using free wire units. It was not. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know free wire, free wires, uh, got quite an innovative solution that has a battery integrated yeah. into the charger. So it actually, uh, draws from the grid at a lower speed and then discharges to the vehicle at a higher speed. Yeah. Um, we, we had more of a conventional charger for our first deployment. Um, and a couple things that, that uh, we ran into there. So first of all, that deployment took 18 months, um, to get, uh, from from beginning to end, part of that you could attribute to COVID, but a lot of that was actually waiting around for the utility, right? Mm. Um, a very very painful process. Um, so that was something that, as a company that likes to move quickly, you know, that was a uh, uh, a definite downside um, yeah. having to rely on the utility like that. Um, and then we also we had noticed with our deployment, and we had heard from others um, from their deployment um, that they were getting killed with something called peak demand charges. Um, those mm. of you who may, may or may not be aware of this. Uh, peak demand charges, like there's a rate that the utility will charge per kilowatt hour, um, but there's also a fixed rate that they will charge uh, in most jurisdictions based on the, the peak power that you use. Right. And if you have a uh, an electric vehicle charger that draws at 150 kilowatts just once in the month, um, you get slapped with a very, very large peak demand charge. Um, that's part of the rationale for a battery integrated charger like FreeWires um, is that you actually shave that, shave that down. So you're not, you're never drawing from the grid at peak power. Yeah. Um, and so for us, especially with EV adoption still being in, in its early stages, it felt like a really good option for us um, to be deploying this. And, and, we, and we've seen that since then. We've seen that it's been 
uh, it's helped us to deploy a lot more quickly and it's helped us um, to keep those uh, operating costs down at our site. So the, the economics look a lot different than it might be for traditional chargers. So I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the some of the things you're seeing out there. What kinds of trends are you seeing out there when it comes to EV charging? Everything from the design, the installation, the site selection, so forth, so on and so forth. And then, you know, you talked about the utility, you've talked about demand charges being, you know, challenges. You know, can you talk a little bit more about those? And what are some of the other big challenges that you've seen to getting chargers installed? And, you know, are there pitfalls um, that should be avoided, especially for, for fuel retailers? What's What's been important for you all to, to learn in this process? So a lot of I, questions. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome I'll to try. my three-part question. Yes, exactly. I'll try, I'll try, I'll try to unpack those. Um, I, so I'd say that I, I'd say for us, um, we try to keep a very, very clear focus on our end customers. Um, what are our drivers looking for? What are they going through? And I think that's where I see the biggest changes and that's where I, I see the biggest trends. Um, one of the things um, that we've noticed is that EVs are going from very early adopter phase into more kind of mainstream use and mainstream uh, adoption. Uh, early adopters will put up with an awful lot, right? <laughs> um, and uh, that now they're great. I mean, early adopters have actually been phenomenal for giving feedback to us about our sites and what they like and what they don't like. They've actually helped out oh, on our, wow. on our mm -hmm. designs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, EV drivers are very vocal, right? Especially the early <laughs> adopters, um, which is something we don't see on the fuel side of our business, right? I mean, fuel is such a mature technology that yeah. you don't get that level of engagement. You don't get right. that level of dialogue. Um, you, you get complaints a lot of the time, but that's uh, that's kind of it. But actually, there's been a really good constructive dialogue with people who are early adopters um, and a community that is that, that they're, they have a vested interest in making sure that we're developing them in the right way. And they're actually engaging us quite well. Yeah. Uh, but they're also willing to put up with a fair bit um, in the early days. And I think as as we're starting to see more and more people that aren't those early adopters start to drive EVs, their expectations are changing, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it used to be um, that EV drivers were just thankful to have anything, right? They were yeah. thankful to, as, lo as long as there was a plug available. It didn't matter where it was. It could be 10 minutes off the highway. It could be yeah. in an empty parking lot. It could be in an abandoned area, no signs. So you had to kind of dig around. But as long as you found the plug at the end of the day, it was okay, right? Um, and we're seeing that change very, very rapidly. Um, and this is where this is where companies like Parkland, who have such a long history in serving the needs of the traveling public, right? We know this stuff. We know what people are expecting because we see that on the fuel side. It's a bit different, mind you, because... Um, drivers are going to be at a site for longer um, just mm -hmm. because it takes, you know, it takes four or five minutes to refuel a vehicle, but it might take 20 or 30 minutes to recharge a vehicle. Um, but, you know, a lot of the needs are kind of the same. I mean, I mean, could you imagine, just as an example, I mean, could you imagine a refueling stop that didn't have a bathroom? No. Right. Well, uh, what 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 percentage of recharging sites actually have access to a bathroom? It's actually very yeah. low. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, could could you imagine a refueling stop that didn't have a canopy? Could you imagine a refueling stop that didn't have somebody there to clear the snow away? Yeah. Again, or in, lighting. In, exactly. Like, if it doesn't exactly. have lighting and it doesn't have a bathroom, I'm or not stopping. Or yeah. a person, right? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, uh, you know, these, these are things that that travelers take for granted on the fuel side because it's again it's a mature industry and it's a it's a model that's been honed for so long yeah um and those kind of basics are missing when it comes to evs right and so this is uh, this is one of the things for us you know our, our mantra at parkland around ev charging has been it's more than just a plug right that this is 
we have to think about the entire experience of a driver. Um, yeah. And so we're, we're doing things like installing canopies over chargers, which is not something that you commonly see. Yeah. Um, we've, got, we've got sites that have vacuums in place so that when people are there, they can actually oh. take advantage of the 20 minute downtime that they have to just quickly zip, quickly zip through and clean their car because they've got the downtime available, right? Yeah. We're training our staff, right? We're, we're actually, we're investing quite a bit in training our staff some of whom don't really know EVs that much to explain, okay, this is what EV drive, this is what an EV is like. Um, get them to actually charge the vehicle themselves, right? Uh, this is the questions that come up. Here's how to help folks. Um, it's it's a fair bit to be training, you know, dozens and dozens of employees, um, getting into the hundreds pretty soon for us. Yeah. Um, but it's an it's an investment that we need to make. Is their design and planning process a little bit different when it comes to considering? Women, because I think that the thing that comes up is like, you know, no woman wants to be charging, you know, in, <laughs> you know, at the back of a facility next to the trash cans and th you yeah. know, things like that. But I mean, and people laugh like, oh, that doesn't really happen. And it's like, oh, my God, yes, you know, that they can be, you know, charging. It's changing a lot. Um But um, but back in the day, yeah, I mean, they, that that was the case. Yeah, uh, definitely a huge deal. Uh, one of the things that we hear from women in particular is around personal safety, right? And what that looks like. Yes. And it's, again, it's something that because you're at a site for a lot longer, the risk exposure changes or the, the, the perceived yes. risk and the actual risk exposure changes. So you can put up with an awful lot for four minutes, right? Right. Um, that for 20 or 30 minutes, you're, you're a lot more vulnerable. And so, yeah, you know, does it does it affect our... Uh, design considerations? Absolutely. So we're, we're taking a close look at making sure that we're putting chargers in places where there's a direct sight line um, from the store employee. We're putting lighting in place um, to make sure that people have uh, have that in place. We've, we've even, there's some sites that we we were looking at putting charging in place and we've elected not to because uh, they were, quite frankly, they were in a bit of a sketchy neighborhood, right? Yeah. Um, and you, you couldn't really guarantee the safety of, of travelers coming in. So yeah. it, So it is... Yeah, it, it absolutely does affect uh, how we think about uh, things. You know, not every gas station is a great place to spend twenty or thirty minutes. Let's be honest, yeah. right? Yeah. A lot are right, and yeah. we've we've cho we, yeah. we've chosen within Parkland. We've chosen our some of our best sites um, that have the best amenities and the safest locations and most convenient access to the highway and that kind of thing. Those are the sites that we're focusing on putting EV charging at. But yeah, there's a lot of sites that just they don't they don't meet those criteria. It's not a good experience. It's not a safe experience to be there for 20 to 30 minutes. And so, and, and so we don't. So what is the permitting process? You know, one, one of the, the, you know, you know, I've been working on these issues for a number of years now. And one of the things that has, has come up is, you know, is, is permitting and the need to expedite and streamline per permitting and that requirements can be different, you know, even within a single, uh, you know, in, in the U.S., it would be a metropolitan statistical area where there are different communities around a, a big city and they might be different, yep. you know, in, in different areas. Does that situation occur um, in Canada? And if so, how are you all sort of managing through that process? Uh, it, so for 50 locations, which is what we're building in BC and Alberta, uh, we're not quite at 50 different jurisdictions, but we're pretty darn close to 50. It might, might be 40. Um, they're all different, right? Oh um, and, and again, and, and I think this is uh, you know, just because there's so many different local bylaws and there's so many different local yes, traffic patterns. Right, and that exactly. Kind of thing. Yeah. And, and again, this is something where, where people who own and operate gas stations were accustomed to that because like right. that's how we live, right? I mean, it's a right. very local business. And so we're quite accustomed to dealing with all these different local planning commissions and that kind of thing. 
Um, but yeah, it's, uh, there are some differences. And so you see there are some communities where it's very easy um, and very straightforward um, to get charging put in place. There's others where there's some challenges that crop up. So, I mean, a, a couple of the things that crop up for us um, would be around uh, layout of the site. So there's, there's a couple of jurisdictions where uh, we don't have a lot of space at the site. This yeah. is what, I mean, this is one of the downsides of the convenience store business and, and the gas station business is that we're, we're already pretty good at maximizing the use uh, of the real estate that we have. So there isn't necessarily a ton of extra space. We've been able right. to be quite creative to find it. Uh, but in some cases, we've had to work with the city to say, look, can we actually get, um, can we build into landscaping areas where the landscaping might have been, might have been a local bylaw? Uh, we've been working with them on signage, right? Um, actually, knowing that there's a charger in place, it's kind of funny when you think about how many gas station, how many gas signs you pass on a, on your daily commute. Right. Um, when's the last time you passed an EV charging sign? Like, it just, they, they don't, like there's, yeah. <laughs> there's no investment that happens in, in charging signs, right? Yeah. Which is which actually is a big problem, and people don't realize how many chargers are out there. Um, but you know, every municipality has, or a lot of municipalities have restrictions in terms of how much signage you, you have in place. Um, and so we've had to work with we've had to work with municipalities on that. So how um, we, you talked about, you know, sort of the local and, and um, the, the local situation and permitting and so, so on and so forth. But how is the, the, the federal legislative and regulatory environment and actually even maybe provincial, you know, there's a provincial, um, you know, like a low carbon fuel standard in British Columbia, for example, the federal government, you know, has um, EV sales, uh, targets that it wants to meet. There are incentives as well. There's now a clean fuels regulation in which electric vehicles will be able to participate. So how is that sort of affecting um, sort of the the planning and implementation for, for parkland as well? So it, it's, uh, policy support varies a lot from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And as, as a company that operates in 20, or yeah, a company that operates in 25 different countries, um, and a bunch of different provinces and a bunch of different states. So we recognize that actually the energy transition and the, the shift toward electric is going to be very different, faster in some areas, much slower in others. Yeah. In, in Canada, what you'll see is that there are a couple of provinces where uh, climate change has been very, very high on the agenda. It's got tremendous political support across multiple parties. Yeah. Um, they have tended to be at the forefront of EV adoption. So British Columbia would be one example and Quebec would yeah, be the other Quebec. example. Mm -hmm, where, mm -hmm. you know, B BC, a lot of people don't know this, but actually BC is ahead of California in terms of EV adoption, right? Which is, everybody thinks California is kind of the gold standard. I did BC. not know that. Wow. BC is actually just a little notch ahead of them. And uh, so up to 20% uh, of new cars sold now uh, are electric in BC. Um, and Quebec is just a little bit behind California. So it's, so we do have some two very kind of early adopt, early adopting areas that use a combination of carrots and sticks to drive the transition to electric. Um, other provinces, it's not really on the agenda, right? Yeah. Um, so there's some places where it's still like 1% of new cars sold, maybe 2% yeah. of new cars sold. Uh, what we are seeing in Canada um, is a shift toward much more federal focus. Um, and federal standards, a federal ban on internal combustion engine vehicles, federal support yeah. for charging infrastructure. There's a $5,000 federal rebate um, for buying an EV. So there is a little bit more consistency now it's being driven across the country. Um, but you still see, you know, again, I think we would still expect it to be a little bit more um, region by region, province by province in the U.S., state by state. Like I think we're still going to see a fair bit of that for for, for the, over the course of the next 10 years. So... To tag off of that, how do you see the EV market 
and EV charging evolving over the next 10 years, you know, not just in Canada, but in North, North America, um, you know, and, and considering that you all operate in 25 countries, um, do you know, do you see Parkland, you know, beginning to, okay, Canada, sort of the, the, the big space, do you, do you, do you see programs, you know, similar programs rolling out in the other countries in which you, you operate? Um, and, and what are the opportunities and challenges there? So what I'd say is uh, a couple of things that I expect over the course of the next five to 10 years. Um, uh, so one is, I mentioned earlier, so the the, the pace is going to vary quite a bit by jurisdiction. And, and, and we will see that across uh, across Canada, across the U.S. These are big, complex countries and big, complex policy mixes of policy in place. So we are going to see that uh, continue to be differential speeds, if you will, across uh, across North America. Um, I would say there's there's going to be a big process, I think, of EVs getting demystified, right, um, in the minds of consumers. So again, yeah. the shift from early adopters to, I, I think now we're at the point where um, a lot of people are aware of EVs. Um, some are curious, some are still quite skeptical, but it, but it's on the radar screen of, of most people. They at least have, like, people have an opinion one way or the other yes. now. Yeah. Um, but there, there is still a bit of a process of demystification that will only happen when you get a chance to either drive an EV yourself yeah. or, or ride in one. Right. Um, and so that, that's, um, uh, I call that, that de-inertia-izing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it just, I mean, the first time I had a chance to drive, uh, to drive an EV, it was a Tesla model three and it was like, it just, it, it, it does bust a lot of myths in terms of what is it like to drive, uh, how different or the same is it from a regular vehicle? Um, what exactly is range anxiety? Uh, I've felt it myself uh, mm-hmm. on a number of occasions. I've also felt when I didn't, I felt when I didn't feel it, I guess is the best way to put it. Like it, yeah. it wasn't as big of a deal. I, I have charged my car in my driveway and had just like the extension cord going in, going into my house and that kind of thing. So like it, it's, it, you do get, uh, when you get a chance to uh, drive one yourself, um, and, uh, take care of one yourself for a little while, it does mm-hmm. give you a much better sense of what it's like. Right. And, and some pieces are different. A lot of things are quite frankly, very similar, um, to, uh, to what you'd see. So you see, um, more EV scale up, um, in Canada. Um, and do you see a sort of a robust, uh, you know, one of the big priorities in the U.S. Um, for the for the federal government here is putting in this cross country charging network at you know major highways and thoroughfares around the country. Um, do you see Canada going in the same direction? Uh, yes, um, with a couple of caveats there. So when Canada is, is the same size or even bigger than the U.S., um, not quite as many highways, but uh, but also one-tenth of the population size, right? So we, we have a lot of remote highways. Um, it'll take a little while for the infrastructure to really get built out across uh, kind, of, kind of the full the full highway network. Um, but yeah, there's absolutely a good amount of investment that we're going that we're um, that, that we're going to be seeing to build that out. Um, the federal government in Canada has been very supportive of that. Provincial governments have been very supportive of that. So I do think that that that's, that is going to be a, a continuing trend. I think you're also going to move. I think in both Canada and the U.S., you're going to move from a mindset of just barely cover the highways enough to get by into actually uh, building chargers where people are going to be needing them and using them and that are going to be kind of more popular, right? So if you think about 
if you thought if you thought about just as take an example, you thought about the interstate highway system in the U.S. and you thought about like top down, how many gas stations do I quote unquote need? Yeah, um, it wouldn't be that many, right? It's, it's not one hundred and fifty thousand. Exactly. It's like yeah, you know, if you if you apply the same logic and said, hey, look, I, we need to have this every fifty miles, and we need to have yeah. this many pumps and that kind of thing. Well, there's a lot more gas stations not across the U.S. for sure, right? And it's because yeah. there's demand for it, right? And so yeah, once you get past that hurdle of the bare minimum to be able to drive from point A to point B. Um, that's where you're going to start to see a lot more interesting investment. There's a lot more questions around, uh, you know, kind of w- what are going to be the winning locations? Um, what's going to be the winning set of amenities? What's going to be the winning offer? Um, and that's, that, that, that's where we see a lot of excitement. Right. So you mentioned the, the government's federal government's intention to phase out the internal combustion engine. Uh, you know, this is probably going to be a dumb question, but, um, not my first, won't be my last, um, <laughs> How concerned is Parkland about that? And do you really think that that's achievable? Uh, it, I'll, I'll take the second question first. So is it achievable? I'd say yes, right? Uh, I, I've Personally, I've got no question on that. I, I think what we've seen for a long, long time, every target that was set around uh, zero emission vehicles was always kind of pushed out into the future, pushed out in the future. Mm-hmm. Now what we're seeing in the last three or four years, every target that has been set um, has been met early, right? And so you're starting to see targets getting raised. You're starting to see targets getting pulled yeah. in instead of getting pushed yeah. back. So I, I have no doubt that we will get there. Um, the the support is there. The economics are starting to be there. The models are available. The charging infrastructure is there. So I've got I've got no doubt that it's coming, right? Um, for Parkland, um, what does it mean for Parkland? It's I mean it's a it's a big curveball for us for sure. Uh, I would say that we've we've treated this as more opportunity than threat for us, right? Um, we see there's a lot of new opportunities that are opening, uh, lots of ways to participate, lots of ways to make money, lots of ways to evolve our existing need. We actually have quite a good starting place. Um, and we're discovering that more and more that, you know, the, uh, the knowledge of our customers and the asset base that we have, the the property that we have, um, the relationships that we have, all of those are super important to be able to serve customers in the new world. So we're, we're not worried about this. We're getting after it. Right. And I think that's getting over the hump of, you know, call it denial, uh, yeah. if you will, and getting into de-inertializing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> getting getting after it. And this has been this has been the big switch for us. And I would say, I mean, Parkland, uh, we've benefited from really, really strong support from our leadership team and our board of directors. Um, that yeah, like there's a real opportunity in here, um, and uh, we're. I think as a company, we're great about getting after it, right? Um, yeah. We're great. We're great about uh, finding ways to move and to maneuver. And I think I. I um, what I like to say is that uh, a company like Parkland that tends to be quite entrepreneurial and tends to be quite fast moving. Um, I like an unsettled environment for us because it is, you know, an unsettled environment actually plays to our favor. I think mm-hmm. so. Uh, to, to me, like I, to me, I, I see a ton of opportunity here. Yeah. Um, the I don't know exactly how it's going to pan out, um, right. but you know, some people take a look at that and they get scared, and some people take a look at that and they get energized. And I think that's yeah. that's kind of the way Parkland is looking at it. Um. So. Fun and last question. Um, what is exciting you most about this space and why? I mean, I can, when I read your LinkedIn posts um, or when you were talking about, we were on a podcast together and you you were talking about the contest that Parkland had, um, the designing the f- get, uh, fueling station for the future and the the winner, that was, that was really beautiful. I was like, oh, I'd like to go <laughs> there. That's really nice. <laughs> 
<laughs> Give me my Snickers and a Diet Coke and I'm going to go. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We're, 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 I don't we're, need still, those. We're, we're still pushing forward with that. And when we do open it, uh, we'll, we'll invite you to come up and maybe record, oh my record God, that would be That would be so fun. <laughs> um, so what excites you? I, I, I can, I, I see the enthusiasm. I read the enthusiasm. I, I hear the enthusiasm. So what's exciting you about the space and why? I'd, I'd say, um, I try to step back and take a look at the bigger picture. And I, I got, I, I've always been a bit of a history buff and I like to think about the kind of major things that have driven history in the world. Right. And, you, and when you start to think about it, transportation and transportation networks, um, have actually played a really big role in history and you go back all the way, all the way to the Roman empire and the network of roads all across Europe, um, and across the Mediterranean and the middle East. And you think about, the Silk Road and kind of Silk the role Road, that yeah. played. Mm-hmm. You think about the Transcontinental Railway. You think about the Pony Express. Um, you think about the interstate highway system in the U.S. I mean, all these are major transportation networks, right, um, that have played a really, really critical role in the, the development of society and the development of countries. And I don't know, I, I like to think that in our own small way, like we're part of that next chapter, right? We're building out the the energy infrastructure and the transportation infrastructure the same way that, you know, engineers and uh, and, and, and governments and other organizations would have been doing that back in the 1950s and back in the late 1800s. Like it, it's kind of that next chapter, right? So yeah. being part of that and helping to make it happen. I mean, to me, that's, uh, to me, I find that really, really exciting. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your, your insights and views on behalf of Parkland. I mean, it is, it is, it's an exciting space. It's an exciting time. And um, yeah, I'd love to, I, I can't wait for my invitation to come up to <laughs> Canada. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, we're, All right. we're, we're looking forward to it. Thanks a lot, Tammy. Really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Great to have you. Thanks. You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more, and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.